going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9, which means we are finally out of Luke chapter 8 after spending, I don't know, it's like five weeks in there, long time in there. So now we're going to spend a few weeks in Luke chapter 9. As we go through this chapter, we're not going to go just in like a straight line through this chapter. We're going to kind of bounce around just a little bit. And then at the end, tie together a few threads uh, that, that Luke kind of weaves together within this chapter. But we'll start here at the, very, uh, at the very beginning in Luke chapter 9. When you become a parent, there are so many things that happen in that moment. Some things you realize and some things that uh, most things you just don't really think about. Most things you don't really, really consider. So for, for all you moms and dads who have dropped kids off in the nursery this morning, uh, I'll bet that you have thought about, I'll bet that you have not thought about that Lord willing, uh, one of you two parents will one day be sitting in the passenger seat of a car while that kid that you dropped off back there will be driving that car. It's not one of the things that comes to mind the moment that you're holding that little baby in the delivery room. You're not thinking, hey, one day this kid is going to drive me somewhere. Uh, but that is a reality that hits you uh, really, really hard. Uh, you'll be out on the road with that kid, with real people, with real cars, with real stoplights and, and, and real things that you have to look out for and real ditches on either side of the road. And you'll have literally nothing you can do except hold on and pray. That will be the only thing that you will have to be able to do. And give instructions nervously, all while trying to completely calm yourself down and speak as calm as possible as to not freak out that child who is in the driver's seat uh, driving. That is uh, our reality right now where we are as a family. Abby is learning how to drive and we are, we are on uh, th- that journey. She's literally learning how to drive the car that we brought her home in from the hospital, uh, which just messes, messes with your head in all kinds of different, different ways. To her, gr- her credit, she's done great. Um, I'm always welcome for some like good, funny sermon stories to kick things off, uh, but fortunately, I don't have any. She's done great, and I don't need any on as it comes to this one. So she's she's done great. So I don't have anything. She's super cautious, and she hasn't really pushed any limits. Uh, but no doubt, it's coming. So you guys can pray with me that all uh, that all goes well. In fact. The last time that we were out, she, nothing she did prompted this, more just a, a consideration of those that are uh, around her. But as we were driving, I pulled out my phone and I ordered off of Amazon these magnets uh, that we could put on the car, all around the car, that says, uh, please be patient, student driver. My, my thinking was just, you know, we don't need anybody giving her a salute as they drive by, just... A little bit of patience would go a long uh, way. There's just something about that transition that's unsettling for everyone. It doesn't matter how good the driver is. It doesn't matter uh, how that all works. Like It's just something unsettling about that uh, transition. But it's very much right and it is very uh, natural. It is the way that it is supposed to happen. 
And as we begin Luke chapter 9, we see something of a similar transition that is about to happen. And so if you'll allow me to kind of continue my very flawed uh, analogy here, Jesus is going to move over in the passenger seat, so to speak, and allow his disciples to be the ones at the wheel. So far, what we've seen in Luke's gospel is uh, that, that Jesus is doing everything. Every, every account that we have, the disciples are kind of running uh, crowd control, kind of dealing with this mass of people that are showing up, but Jesus is the one that's doing everything. He's doing the quote-unquote ministry. It's Jesus healing the sick. It's Jesus casting out the demons. It's Jesus raising the dead. It's Jesus doing all the teaching. And in this chapter, all of that is about to change. Everything is about to go in, in a different direction. Something that I think we, we kind of take for granted that this was always going to be uh, a thing that happens. Like when we think about the disciples, what we think about is these guys that were leaders and planting churches and doing things. But up to this point, it was all Jesus. And he's going to move in his ministry from being the primary actor to delegating to a select few to these 12 men uh, are going to move from being disciples, i.e. like followers, learners, those that sit under the teaching of Jesus, to being apostles, ones that are sent on mission. That's literally what that, mean, that, that word means. It's kind of a, a transliteration out of the Greek. It comes from a word that's uh, apostolos, which just means sent. These men will be apostolos. They will be sent. We turn that into a title and we make that apostles. They are sent out on mission. So let's read how this starts and see how we can, what we can learn about this transition and how it all happens. See how it actually plays out for these new apostles. And then before we're done, we'll figure out what it means for us. So Luke chapter 9 verse 1. And he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. Or over all d- d- demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Let's just stop there for just a second. So this is the big change. Uh, And you can almost see the signs on the back of the cloaks of the apostles. It says, student apostle, please be patient. Because these guys are being sent out to do things that they've never done before. Jesus, though, is given some very encouraging and specific instructions. Instructions that I don't think you would anticipate, uh, especially especially for a bunch of rookies that are going out to do things. He doesn't say what I would say to a bunch of rookies that are going out to do things. He says some very different things. First off, there's no training wheels for this bunch. There's no like dipping your toe uh, in the water. They're going out to preach the same message and do the same things that they've seen Jesus do. Jesus delegates to them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That is not getting in the shallow end. That is getting thrown in the deep end of the pool and saying, I promise you'll figure out how to swim before you drown. That's basically how he starts the ministry out for these uh, apostles. How will they know? How will they know how to do these things? How will they do it? Well, Jesus' instructions are basically, you'll just know. I'm just going to give you the power to do it, and you'll just know. That had to be, I mean, have you thought about this? That had to be a nerve-wracking moment for the disciples, right? The first time that you, that you, you go up to someone that's got a, that, 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 that's deaf and you say, 
you're healed, you can hear now. Like, how do, you, how do you have the confidence to come and, like, do that for the first time? But that's what these guys were able uh, to do. I can't imagine having that kind of authority and that kind of power. And we'll get to why I can't imagine that here in just a few minutes, if you've got that question, which I'm sure you do. I can't imagine it. But they've got the full toolbox at their disposal. Well, not quite. They can't, it doesn't say that they can raise people from the dead, which Jesus has shown that he can do. But outside of that, they can do just about everything. The toolbox is there. They can do it all. Jesus has just handed the ministry off to these guys, just handed the ministry off, and he said, you guys, go do it. The ministry has now entered into a new phase. But Jesus also gives these rookies a few more instructions too, a few more things for them to do when they go out. Verse 3. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And whatever they do, they do not, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, this one ups the intensity level of what they're about to do significantly. This, this ups the difficulty level and says, all right, guys, here's what you need to do. It's one thing to say you have authority to meet other people's needs, but to say that they need to travel as light as possible because their needs are going to be met in, in essentially supernatural ways as well, that feels, frankly, irresponsible. Like, Jesus, what are you doing sending these guys out on a mission like this and telling them, take no supplies, nothing extra. You don't get to bring any of it. Jesus is essentially sending these men out to proclaim this teaching that has, as we've seen on numerous occasions, almost gotten Jesus killed. Even in his own hometown, almost got him thrown off a cliff. And he's telling them to go out penniless and defenseless. No money, no food, no clothes, no staff, no way to defend themselves. Y'all go out and do this and, 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 and give this same message that we gave, that you've seen me give, that almost got me killed. You go out and do the same thing. But don't take anything with you at all. This week, uh, just down the street, hundreds of moms and dads dropped their kids off to start college at Carson Newman. Uh, and I know that Friday night, immediately following the afternoon, like, move-in day activities and all that happens there, a lot of moms and dads and freshman students ended up at Walmart because that's where they all go on Friday night after move-in day. They all go to Walmart. Why? Because every mama is going to do anything and everything she can to make sure that their babies have everything that they need when they got left in their, in, in their room and out from under their roof for the first time. I've literally been there to help on move-in day and see these students as they pulled up to move into a dorm room that they are sharing with someone else and had to unload a U-Haul so that they could get all the stuff that they planned on moving into this dorm room out. And every time I've looked at the, the, the mom and the dad and I've said, listen, I'll help you haul it up. But I'm not bringing it back down when it doesn't fit. You're on your own for that one. You've got to get the rest of it out. 
And without exception, the dads are usually like, I know, trust me. And, and the moms are like, oh, we'll make it fit, honey. Like, that's how they do it every time. Because the moms are going to make sure that their babies have everything that they need. They're going to make sure that they are well taken care of. And yet here's Jesus essentially giving these guys a Greyhound bus ticket. He doesn't even go with them to the door. He gives them a Greyhound bus ticket and he says, y'all figure it out. Don't take anything with you. Don't take a suitcase. Don't even take a duffel bag with you. Just take what you got on your person. If you can fit it in your pockets, that's fine. Outside of that, don't take it with you. And trust me, you'll be fine. That feels crazy. That feels completely irresponsible. Go, go preach a message that will get you killed and take nothing, with it. take nothing with you when you go. And yet that's what Jesus does. He's going to send these men out, and as much as their ministry is going to be about preaching uh, the the kingdom of God, it's also going to serve as an important part of of knowing whether Jesus' message is going to be received by the Jewish people in these towns that they go to. And by the, the, the Gentiles in the towns that these go to. So, so they're going to preach the kingdom of God. And part of it is to make the kingdom of God go forward. And also part of it is to kind of know, okay, who's going to be open to this message and who is not going to be open to this message. And we'll see in the next couple of chapters that it will, it will end up serving as a means by which God will judge the Jews and how they respond to Jesus and his apostles. There's a hint of that in this instruction. You see, Jesus was telling the apostles to depend on the Jewish instructions for hospitality. So whenever it says, go to a different town, and if you find some food there, somebody, you find a place to lodge, then lodge in that place. This is the instructions that was given to the Jewish people. They were to be good hosts. That any stranger that showed up at their door, part of their role in caring for one another as Jews and being a light to the nations is that they were to be good hosts whenever a stranger showed up. They were to invite them in. They were to give them a place to lodge. They were to feed them and they were to take care of them. And then the instruction for when it says that that when this didn't happen, that they're to shake the dust from their feet, that's kind of a a euphemism. That's kind of a saying that this is how the Jews were to to respond. uh, This is how the apostles were to respond to anyone who did not give them a place, who didn't listen to the message that they they had, but this is a, a saying that, that, that they would literally do this. So like if the Jews left a, a Jewish area, went into a Gentile area, when they came back into the Jewish area, they were to literally shake the dust off their feet. The idea is not that Gentile dirt is bad and Jewish dirt is good. It was symbolic to say everything that you picked up on you while you were out in that place that was non-Jewish, shake it off, get it off of you, don't bring it back into this town with you. The, the evidence of the Old Testament is clear. When you bring back ideas, when you bring back religion, when you bring back women, when you bring back kids, when you bring back anything, philosophy, religion, ideas, any of these things from Gentile cultures, and you, you kind of bring it back and, and, and mesh it with Jewish ideas, what you get is syncretism. What you, what you get is not a better version of the Jewish faith. It is a watered-down, no-longer version of the Jewish faith. And so the instruction was, shake it all off of you. Get it off of you. Get it away. Don't come back and bring this stuff to their people. So Jesus is playing on this idea too. 
And maybe I'm reading too much into this phrase, but I find it interesting that Jesus says literally, just shake it off and move on. Just move on past these people. Just brush it off and move on. He doesn't say wage a culture war. He doesn't say grasp for power. He doesn't say fight for the kingdom. He doesn't say demand to be heard. He says shake it off and move on. That does not sound much like the current popular advice in many Christian circles today that want to turn and fight every chance they can. In fact, they sound, the, the current advice sounds more like the two apostles at the end of chapter 9. Real quick, real quick, look at the end of chapter 9, verse 52. Just read this to you. End of the same chapter. And he sent messengers ahead of him. So Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans, so a non-Jewish population, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, I shouldn't find that paragraph funny. It's both racist and violent. But I really do find it funny, which is not, not a great thing. But just I find it funny because of how badly these guys have missed the point. How badly these guys have missed the very instructions they received just at the beginning of this chapter. They, they completely missed it. The, the village rejects Jesus and their response is, burn it all down. Does that sound familiar to you guys at all? Have you heard anything like that in, in popular Christian teaching today? There are plenty of people that will tell you if this nation can't be quote-unquote Christian, which I still don't know what that means when they say that, but if this nation can't be quote-unquote Christian, then they'd be happy to just let it burn. It needs to just go away anyway. That doesn't line up with how Jesus instructs his apostles. And I think I laugh when I read this because I can just picture Jesus' reaction whenever he, he hears it. Luke tells us that he rebukes his disciples, but, I mean, the face that he made has to be something, like, ridiculous. You know, that face of, like, are you serious right now? Do you hear yourself, James? John, do you hear what you're saying? I told you, if, I, if you're not welcome in a place, shake the dust off, move on, and that will be a curse on them later. Don't worry about them. And you want to send fire from heaven and, and, and burn them up? Come on, guys. Come on. I think I laugh because I, I, can, I, can, I, can, I, I can feel their like, pride in asking Jesus this. Like, oh, I'll show them. I've got all this power now. Jesus will be proud of me for this, for this request. And then Jesus like, no, guys. You completely missed the whole point. Burn it down is not the reaction he wants. He says, shake it off and move on. Their rejection will be duly noted, uh, but, their, but, but your focus should not be on their rejection, but on their message. That Jesus is here. That Jesus, the one that is promised, is here. That the, the, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. Hear the, the, the good news of the kingdom. Not that fire is coming, but hear the good news of the kingdom of God that is here with Jesus. Don't, don't focus on this other stuff. Just, 
shake that off and move on. He's handing this ministry off to others and letting them take it and run with it. That's the whole point here. And as we can see, by the time you get to the end of chapter 9, they don't exactly grasp everything that they are able to do. Now, their teaching was limited. Whenever I say that Jesus was in the passenger seat and they were in the driver's seat, this doesn't mean that they were now steering the mission. Their teaching was limited to the mission that they had been given. They could only teach what they had been taught. They could only do what they had seen Jesus do. They were bound by all of those things. But, but they could still go out and they could do it on their own. And they were really the ones that were doing it all. And they did it. I mean, that's what it says at the end there. And uh, back up in verse 6, it says, They went out to all the villages and they did exactly what Jesus gave them the power to do. So the natural question is this. What about us? If you read this and you read that the apostles were given all power, all authority to heal diseases and to cast out demons, what about us? Are we in the same way sent out like these apostles were? Do we have the same kind of power and the same kind of authority? Now, I think we get to that question way too quick. There's probably a dozen other questions that we need to ask before we get there. But I also know that that's a natural question that comes up, comes out. If he sent them out with the ability to heal diseases and cast out demons, do we have that ability too? Well, that question, if you ask it that way, kind of sets up as this either-or type of answer. And I don't think it's necessarily that simple. So, so, so hang with me here, and I'm going to try to explain to you and show you by parallel what we have been given and how it's both similar and different to what the apostles uh, were given. There is an argument that says that the apostles were given this authority because they were at a unique point in salvation history where Jesus was with them, the works of Jesus was happening, uh, and, and the apostles themselves uh, and And Jesus himself needed to be validated by these miracles so that others would know to listen to the messages. After all, there were all kinds of false messiahs that were out there. There needed to be something that would set Jesus and his followers apart. And the miracles were the way to do that, to set them apart and say, these guys are legit. Now, I might quibble over some of the details and the wording of that, but generally... I agree with, with that, and, and, and most scholars and theologians would too. The controversy comes with the follow-up to that. And that many would argue that now that Jesus is not with us, now that the apostles have died and they are no longer there, what, what, what many would argue is that the message no longer needs to be validated by these miracles. And subsequently, we have lost the authority to do the same type of miracles. This is the way that the argument and the reasoning goes. And I understand that. That is a perfectly reasonable and orthodox position uh, to hold. The, The problem with that is that Jesus explicitly told the disciples that they and those that came after them with the power of the Spirit would be able to do more than Jesus did, not less. So how does that jive with the fact that we can do more, not less, How does that jive with the idea that now that Jesus isn't here, we actually can do less? How do those things work together? So the follow-up question is, why don't we see that kind of thing today, just all over the place? Why can't I have a parade of sick people come across this stage and heal their diseases? Why do I have to go to the doctor? Why can't I just have whatever I've got going on with me? Why can't I just take care of that? Why can't I just go and put every hospital out of business? 
Why can't the Christian church just, just take over and put all hospitals out of business right now? So when Jesus delegated this authority, he did so with a very specific purpose. And what you have to see is that the authority given is tied to the mission that is given. The two things go together. The same purpose that he had when he began his own, his own mission to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. This is what it says there in those verses that this was the message they were to go out and preach, right? So the mission is go out and preach the kingdom of God. Unlike these disciples, we often do not need the benefit of miracles like these that we've read in the pages for that to happen. We can go out and preach the message of the kingdom of God, and we don't need, we don't need the, the backup of the miracles to say, hey, you should listen to this guy. Why? Because we have the Bible. We have the church. We have, more than anything, the testimony of the risen Jesus and an empty tomb. That's why we don't need the same level of, of miraculous activity that they had there. And we have a slightly different directive. So hang with me here. I know I'm kind of I'm backdooring this thing, but we'll get there. So we have a slightly different directive, a slightly different message, one recorded by both Matthew and Luke. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the, the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Does that sound familiar? All authority, all power. Same thing he gave them in chapter 6 of Luke. Jesus says again, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The authority that, that he delegates now to the disciples is not an authority to heal diseases, not an authority to, uh, to, to cast out demons. The authority is to make disciples and baptize them. So do you see a slight difference there? The, the authority is to make disciples, teach them, and he will be with you as you do it. And then in Acts, Luke records these final words of Jesus before he ascends to the Father in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. There it is again. Authority and power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So do we have power and authority in the same way that the apostles did? Sort of. We have we have power and authority to complete the mission. We have all power and all authority to complete the mission, just like the apostles did. The mission just looked a little bit different for the apostles than it does for us today. But the baseline is still the same. Jesus will supply for us everything that we need. Just as he told them, don't take anything as you go out. Your needs will be met. So Jesus says, I am with you even to the end of the age. I am giving you power to go out and make disciples, to baptize them, to go out and do all of these things. We have the power of the Spirit of God living in us. 
A power that Jesus says surpasses even the power that was given to the disciples as we read here in Luke chapter 9. The power of the Spirit surpasses what we just read in Luke chapter 9. And he says we have been given that through the Spirit. For us to go out, this is the question, what is that power used for? It is for us to go out and to make disciples, to be witnesses in our own homes, in our own towns, in our own nation, and throughout the world. And to be witnesses to what end? To make disciples. That is what the ministry of the kingdom of God looks like. So I would say it this way, kind of in summary here. We have been given all that we need for God to bless us, use us, and for the kingdom and for God's kingdom to be known and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have all we need for the mission we have been given. And hear me, if miracles need to be a part of that, I am confident that they will be. But that is not the promise nor the mission. What we need is not the power of Luke's 9, but the uh, power of Luke 9, but the power of Acts 2 and the spirit that comes at Pentecost. That far surpasses the power given in Luke 9. Here's how Peter lays out what we've been given in the spirit. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All power that we need for life and godliness. We spend so much time talking about these type of gifts like tongues and, and, and healings and miracles and all these things. And we spend so much time talking about these things. But what the, the, the scriptures make clear to us is that we have been given a mission. And the mission we have been given is empowered by far greater than even the authority the apostles had. And that mission is to go and make disciples. Would it be awesome for us to be able to heal people? Absolutely it would be. For sure. But that's not the mission that we have been given. We're here to see the kingdom come and that it is done primarily through faith. And seeing someone, hear me, seeing someone come to faith in Christ is infinitely more glorious than healing them from a disease. Infinitely. There is no comparison. Healed or not, every person we've read about so far in the Gospel of Luke, every single person, the, the, the man healed with, with leprosy, the woman last week with the issue of blood, every person, the, the, the man that was they, they called legion who had thousands of demons cast out of him, every miracle that we've read, every one of those people still died. Yes, they were healed momentarily, but they all still, still died. Even Lazarus that was brought back from the dead had to go back into that tomb one day. Eternally, there is no contest as to which is more glorious. If we have eyes to see, we have been given all that we need for life and godliness and for the kingdom. 
I want to look at one more story that Luke tells us here in chapter 9 that kind of shows how this works out for the apostles and kind of how all of this really ends up looking for them on the ground as they proceed. It says that they go out, they go out to all these towns and to all these villages and they do all these amazing things. And then we get to Luke chapter 9, verse 10. I know we skipped over some verses. We'll, We'll come back to those here in the next week or two. But Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Uh, And they took him and withdrew to a part of a town called Bethsaida. So basically what happens is all the apostles eventually come back together. We don't know how long this mission is. It had to be probably at least a couple of weeks in order to all of them to go out to different towns because there was no like interstate, no cars. They had to make, they had to make a journey to go out to these places. So a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months go by and they all gather back together with Jesus. And whenever they come back to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, I got to tell you what we did. Jesus is like, I know, I told you you could do it. Like, you, can you imagine that reunion whenever they all come back together here? Can you imagine the celebration that would have been there? Like, think about the last time something amazing happened to you and how you were dying to tell somebody about it. Like, whatever that amazing thing is, I guarantee you it's not better than, like, giving someone their hearing back. Or like telling someone to get up and walk that hadn't walked in 20 years. I promise you, whatever story you've got is not that good. And you were dying to tell somebody that story because it was so amazing. It was so fun. Like that amazing thing that happened at the beach when you were on vacation. Not as amazing as the stories these guys are going to be able to tell when they come back. Can you imagine the spiritual high they had to be on when they came back and they started telling Jesus about all of these things and they started comparing notes like, oh, you did that too? I didn't think about doing that. That's amazing. Oh, I'm gonna have to try that next time. Like they're comparing notes and they're doing all this stuff. This is what they come back to, right? It says they go out to a town called Bethsaida. They're kind of out in, in the middle of nowhere a little bit. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and they... And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go out and buy food for all these people. Which is like, ha, ah, that's not going to happen. We're broke. Uh, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, and so that's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to 20,000 people when you take the men, women, kids. Uh, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to eat or to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So if you're like me, you've heard this 5,000 times. For every person there, you've heard this story. Uh, you, you, You read it, you've heard sermons on it, you've gone through this over and over and over, but I never realized the context of which what this, this whole story is set in. And I think the context is key to the, the main point that Jesus is, uh, that, that Luke is trying to make in giving us this story. The context is key. The first verse was always lost on me. It's just a scene setter. That's all that it is. But it's after they've all come back from being on the road doing miraculous things. 
It's after they just had this big reunion to say, you're not going to guess what I just did. You're not going to guess what happened while we were gone. You're not going to believe this. Oh, maybe you will because you were doing it too. I don't know. But this stuff was amazing. That's the context of this. That whole celebration is the context of this. They make it out far from town. The crowds end up all around. Jesus was once again doing all the healing. Did you catch that? The disciples aren't doing it. The apostles aren't doing it. It's just Jesus again. No mention of the apostles doing the healing. Just Jesus. I don't want to make too much of that because Luke doesn't make too much of that. But to me, it would make sense for... for I mean, it makes sense for Jesus to be the, the, the focus of what's going on out there. But if these guys have been given all power and all authority, why don't... Why aren't they helping out? They've just seen that they've got the power to, to do this. Why aren't they helping out? And it's just an interesting thing to note. But now that they're back with Jesus, it's all Jesus again. And as it got late in the afternoon, it became clear that there's going to be a problem. They had nothing to feed these people. They had nothing to shelter these people. These people needed to go away, and they needed to do it quick because it was about to get dark. And once it got dark, it got very dangerous. Um, they had a good crowd. A lot was happening but there was no food. They knew this was going to be a problem. There's no food trucks back then for this ministry festival that just impromptu happened. Uh, so they had to get these people back to town. They tell Jesus, time to wrap it up, or these people will never make it back before dark. And that's when Jesus turns, and he says what I think is the, the key point of this whole story. The, I think it is the focal point of the whole story. He turns to them, and he says, you feed them. You do it. They go to Jesus asking for a miracle, and Jesus says, you do it. It's almost like they were, they were ready for the, for the question, because immediately they reply back, no, 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 we've already like stole some stuff from a kid. We got a couple of fish sandwiches, that's it. That's all we got. We, we, we've combed the place, we, we threatened some people, this is all we've got. It's like they were ready for it. They know if we just roll out two sandwiches, there's going to be a riot over two sandwiches, right? So they know that this is not an option. Jesus, we can't do it. Now, we're not told Jesus' reaction to this response, but he says, fine, bring the sandwiches to me. Organize the crowd, get it ready. He says a prayer, and boom, every disciple has a basket full to hand out to their different groups. And they hand it out, 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 and they just keep reaching in the basket, and there's always enough in the basket. Always. Even when they think they're going to run out, they don't. They just keep handing it out. It just keeps going until everyone there is full. And then each of the apostles has their own basket left over, completely full. One basket per apostle. A beautiful picture of the provision of Jesus. Now, there's all kinds of analogies we can draw out of this that I do not have time for. All kinds of symbolism about, about God providing for the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel and how God's salvation is enough and there's enough left over even for those outside. of the, There's all kinds that's there, but I want to focus on what is going on here. This beautiful picture of the provision of Jesus. Jesus had asked his disciples to do it. He said, you feed them. But as best we can tell from all the gospel writers that tell this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it never occurs to the disciples that they ever could have done it. It never occurs to them that they had the power and the authority to do it. 
They did all this healing, all these miracles. They were given all this power and this authority. And then when they come back and Jesus looks to them and says, you feed them, it's like that, it, it, it's like that whole, the, the whole past two months or however long they were out on the road, it's like it's not in their memory banks anymore. It's like that whole like, time whenever they all got back together, when they all got back in town and they were comparing notes and they were high-fiving each other and their minds were blown at what they had just seen. It's like they've completely forgotten about it. All of God's provision for all the time that they were given a place to stay, for all the times that they were so hungry and somebody said, hey, come on in, I'll feed you guys tonight. And they didn't think they were going to have a place to stay that night. For every time that they were like, man, I got no money. There's no way I can provide for myself. And God provided for them. For all the times that they walked up to somebody and they said, rise and walk. And that person rose and walked. For all the time that they did these things that they thought there would be no way that they could pull them off. They had they had just mountains of stories, basketfuls of stories of God's provision. And they forgot it all. They'd forgotten every bit of it. It's like it's completely gone from their minds. Friends, this is us on so many levels. We talk of God's great provision. How he's always been there for us. How he's never let me down. We sing these songs. We, we, we tell the stories about how, how Israel walked across on dry land. We tell the stories about how the apostles were given all that they needed when they went out on mission. We tell the stories about how Paul had, had, had everything taken from him, but God met all of his needs. We tell the stories about an empty tomb, and yet whenever it comes to the day in, and day out and the, the storm clouds are on the horizon, we're like, man, I just don't think he's there for me now. I don't think I can do it. I just don't think I can make it. We all have these stories and these testimonies. All of us. We all know the stories in the scripture. And even if you, if you can't think of one time that God has ever shown up and done anything on your behalf, if that's you this morning, you can look around this room and you can think, well, I can think of a time that he did for them. And I can think of a time that he did for them. And I can think of a time that he did for them. And you have two choices there. You can either be jealous and say, why did God show up for them? Or you can say, that God is faithful and he is faithful to me too. It says in the Great Commission that he does not leave us or forsake us. That part of, the, part of the giving of the power and authority is that he is with us into the end of the age. This is part of, the, this is part of what we do together. This is part of why we gather together as a church. So that whenever you don't have those stories... Somebody else has those stories. So you can borrow from theirs until it is your story again. To remind you of when it's been true in your own life. Because when the thunderstorms come rolling in, when they are on the horizon, it is so easy for us to forget how faithful he has been. 
It is so easy for us to forget, oh yeah, I, I can do this. And obviously when I say this, I'm not, I'm not saying you are strong enough, you can do it. What we're saying is just like, the, I mean, the apostles know they, they didn't have any power and authority in and of themselves to heal anybody. They knew that was God that was doing it. But yet God was using them and he was with them to enable them to do it. And so, yes, in some sense they did do it and so can you. We're so quick to say, I can't withstand this storm. Or maybe we're not quick to say it, and it just eventually beats us down. But we still can withstand it, because he will not leave us or forsake us, even in the darkness. And when we want to quit, the reality is that if we keep reaching in the basket, there's always enough there. Always. He always sustains. He will sustain. It may not look like you're going to have a place to stay tonight. You may not look like you're going to make it through the night because you got no food, you got no money, you got no water, you got no way to move it, move forward. But he sustains and he provides. The basket always has more. It may not be what you ordered. You may not like fish sandwiches, but it's there. Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, you feed them. And they chuckle and say, yeah, right. I'm not the one that's been healing people and doing miracles. Wait a minute. I, I, guess I, did, I, guess, I guess I did do that. Friends, hear me when I say this. I do not mean this in any way to be a, a, a condemnation, but an encouragement. We have no clue how powerful the spirit of God is that lives in us. We do not understand the power of the Spirit that He has given us. We give up easily. We focus on the storm clouds so quickly. We don't fight our sin hard enough. We don't trust long enough. We don't pray often enough. We don't. But what's beautiful is the rest of the story. Jesus steps in and he doesn't say, well, if you won't feed them, I guess they'll just be hungry. Jesus steps in and he says, I'm here. No worries. I got you. I got them. Bring me what you've got. And my provision will overflow for you even when you feel like it will run out. I'm here for you. You may not like what you get, but you'll be fed. And I'm here with you even to the end of the age. These guys were student drivers. They didn't fully understand the power that they had. They didn't fully understand what God had granted them. They didn't fully understand what the kingdom of God meant. They didn't fully understand any of what they were doing. And yet God sent them out and he said, I'll be there with you along on the mission. They didn't realize the power that they had, but they also didn't understand the grace that they had been given in Jesus too. And that's the beauty of this picture. They have all that they need. They've been given all that they need. 
They've been given all they need for godliness and for life. And yet they still didn't fully get it. Man, if that's not you and me, I I don't know what is. Been given all that we need in Christ. All that we need with an empty tomb. All that we need with the Spirit of God. And yet we still struggle with the same sins all the time. We still struggle day in and day out to trust the, the mountain of stories that we have behind us in our own lives and in the lives of others and in Scripture. We still, we still fail to believe that we have any of this at our disposal or that any of it, just because it's true in the past, it means it won't be true in the future. We still fail on all these levels. And in all of that, Jesus still says, I have grace for you. And I'm still here with you. And I will still provide for you. Yes, you could have made the food yourself. Yes, you could have provided for the people yourself. Yes, you could have done so much more yourself. You should not have said, I can't do this. But I am here with you always, even to the end of the age. And he will keep breaking it and giving it away and filling our baskets until there is so much left over we can't consume it all. This is the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, as I read this story, as I preach this message, I do not know if I am more convicted or encouraged. Perhaps that's the point. Convicted of my lack of faith, of my short-sightedness, of my own doubt in your, in your power and absent faith whenever it seems to be needed the most, but encouraged at the grace that you've shown these apostles and that you've shown each one of us. Help us to trust in the stories that are true. And the biggest story above all, a resurrected Jesus, an empty tomb, And grace we can never fully comprehend. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.